to say that the podcast for your big questions get real answers my name is matt king i'm your host here in the city of chicago join me here is a man who's chewing banana very quickly <laughs> ben fitzgerald the founder of mission usa it's banana time y'all he's potassiumed up he's ready to go also joining us jed brew the director of mission usa productions greetings join us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of christ community church lee younger it's a proven scientific fact that the speed with which the potassium enters your body affects how well it works on you. Also, a scientific fact, even though he had no less than three quarters of a banana in his mouth, <laughs> if I had audibled and introduced someone else first, Glenn still would have been offended by that. Well, you know. That's true. That is definitely true. We have a lovely show for you. We got some great questions. But first, we have a cinematic emergency. Whoa. What? Now, we've uh, occasionally on this show uh, pitched some, some movies. Some film ideas, I think it'd be best to call them. Sure, yes, Cinema. absolutely. Yes. We don't deal in movies. That's right. I see films. Oh, very good. Um, but the thing about that is, we sometimes, I'm, I would copy this, we, we come up with a, a bit of an absurd premise in jest. If you say so, I can't imagine such a thing. Well, that's what we say after no one wants to make it. <laughs> that one was just a joke. <laughs> Wait till you hear our serious pitch. That's what I try to do in sermons, too, all the time. Seven minutes into my 10-minute sermon. You guys aren't buying this? That was all just jokes. That's not what I really wanted to say. But in a worrying trend, we mentioned last show, we were talking about Disney buying a church and doing Disney church. And I, 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 mentioned, I expressed a fear that this would be one of those times we exercise our dark power of us saying crazy things and then them happening. Yeah, that was that was pretty crazy. So nothing like that could ever happen. Totally. Well, as often happens to us, something crazier happens because we say things like, okay. "What if Joel Osteen had a robot cyborg army?" And then someone <laughs> says, "Kanye West was on stage at Joel Osteen's thing, and they list, they all listened to Kanye's Christian album together." And you go, "Well, that's that's weirder than the thing we said." Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so that's the that's the world we're forced to live sure. in. That's weird kind of dark magic. So we mentioned, you know, Disney Church, ha 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 ha. Christian movies, how could they be weirder than that? And that brings me to something that passed my Amazon Prime, uh, you know, movies available thing recently. And that is The Velocipaster. <laughs> what? <laughs> it, it can't be what I and everyone else thinks that is. Uh-huh. Well, the picture... Wait, wait, wait. Before you show us, please. I, I, I got two guesses. Can I put them out? Please yeah. do. Option one, a human pastor who feels called to spread the good news to velociraptors. Oh, that's, oh that's I like something. this. That's option one. That's like nice. he's, you know, the apostle to the Greeks, the apostle to the dinosaurs, you know, right, this kind of thing. Right, right. Sure. This, they do have community, Jed. That, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The second one is a veloci- an actual dinosaur, a velociraptor, who gets saved. Yeah. Oh. And now it dons a clerical collar. And wants to spread the good news. But he's really <laughs> liberal because he, you know, the whole thing with the, uh, uh, you know, intelligent design is a sure. whole issue for him. Absolutely. Being a dinosaur. And right, yeah. They they don't need to have the debate about transubstantiation. They just go ahead and, and deal with the blood right there. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, were either of those correct? No. Really? And they were far too tame. Oh, wow. That's surprising. Because they didn't involve ninjas. What? Or a Chinese curse. <laughs> Or drug dealers, 
all of which are things that are come up in the I count two sentence plot summary on Wikipedia, (laughs) which reads thusly. Pastor Doug Jones becomes infected by a curse in China, resulting in him resulting in him turning into a velociraptor. Okay. When he becomes angry, <laughs> he decides to when kill. When he becomes angry, when he becomes right. angry, Doug Jones. When Doug Jones, in his sweater, becomes angry, <laughs> he decides to kill criminals, including drug dealing ninjas, oh, yeah. by using his transformation. Did a five year old write this? The pastor travels the world for his self-given mission. And I, we will put this on uh, on our social medias. You can check out uh, wow. Facebook. You can check out Twitter. You can now check out Instagram. Oh! Uh, Instagram at The Bridge Chicago. And the, the movie poster is a, basically a guy to clear a collar with very long claws. Behind him are ninjas and fire. And then there's a giant dinosaur, which I don't think is a velociraptor. What? No, it's not. <laughs> and this image is that's, truly bonkers. That's that's just... Uh, look, people, let me just say this. Drugs are bad. <laughs> Drugs dealt by ninjas are certainly bad. The, I mean, And we need someone to save us from that scourge. If, if you, you, you know, being a screenwriter is challenging. Yeah. You got to say... How? Do, where are these ideas going to come from? Sure. And then you think, if I eat all the different kind of mushrooms, including some that are unadvisable, right? Maybe something will come to me. Right. That's not that. That's not where the fresh ideas come from. No. Although you know, to to take the point you're making, here's what I appreciate about this: it's the follow through. You yeah. know, I mean, you, yeah. you you had, you know, something happened. You got a, a completely out there idea. And then you actually made a movie. It is so much work and time to make a movie. Yeah. And you took this idea and said, I'm following this all the way. Well, you had Can to I, pitch it. The, the thing on this is, is am I the only person on this whole show that kind of wants to hear one of the Velocipastor sermons? Oh, oh yeah. Wow, yeah. Well, I'm envisioning the scene now where he ha- he's just Doug Jones, yeah. Pastor Doug. Right? Doug Jones. And he's up in the pulpit, and he's giving a sermon, and he looks Thank out, you. and there's a dude who's not paying attention. And he's trying to be cool about it, Pastor Doug is, but this dude never pays attention. Right. And then he yawns. Wow. And that's the moment Pastor Doug's had too much, and out comes the raptor! And he just he rips his throat out. Yes, exactly! <laughs> well, it's, it, but this is the thing, is somebody had to pitch this. Right. And so, like, this is your, because you don't, if you're a screenwriter, you don't pitch stories every day. Sure. I mean, you're lucky to get into some, uh, you know, office of a you know, studio. Right. This is a guy, and he's in charge of right. you know uh, producing these movies. Yeah. And you you sit down and say, y- you know, I got some ideas, and this you say out loud. Yeah. With the expectation it's going to happen. I just want to know that guy. Yes. Oh, Glenn, you have no idea how much you want to know this guy. Okay. I'm going through the truly just psychedelic experience that is this Wikipedia page. Okay. (laughs) Production. And uh, let me just also make sure while we're making fun of this, that it actually is real. Oh yeah. It's on Amazon. It's on. By the way, the byline is 
A man of the claw. <laughs> quite good. I'm gonna. I don't normally do Bird this because you know we want to make jokes and stuff. I'm just gonna read straight from the Wikipedia for a little while. Okay, because okay. I think we deserve this production. The director thought of the idea in 2010 while he was attending the School of Visual Arts in Manhattan. His phone autocorrected Velociraptor to Velocipaster. And as a class project, he made a short film, a f- fake grindhouse trailer that included Velocipaster. But the class project on uh, YouTube, it got 45,000 views. He then crowdfunded, tried to crowdfund it twice from 2011 to 2016. <laughs> Neither attempt succeeded. The film received funding from a private investor that the mother of the director's friend knew. Velocipaster was filmed for $35,000. Wow. wow. This was not pitched. I mean, I don't... This is the work of an auteur. Wow. A man of vision and will. <laughs> Auto-correct <laughs> to feature film. I... I think there's a well. First of all, at least we have someone to blame here, and it's autocorrect. But I, well, first of all, I, is it wrong that now I desperately want to see this? No, movie? no. thirty-five thousand dollars is like, oh my! I'm intrigued. Like, no one got paid. Yeah. to do like yeah. they volunteered. Yeah. to put on the raptor costume. <laughs> Because it's not CGI. You can't do CGI for 30. I'm assuming. I think that's the safe I mean, bet. are you getting donated pro bono CGI? No, I mean, not for Velocipaster, you're not. <laughs> Is there a dude in a suit that's going rawr and jumping around? Because I've got to see that movie. Yeah, that's incredible. Now, I have a, a bit of a game for you, gentlemen. Uh, this is, And I, ca- I like to call this one Rotten Tomatoes. Because okay. uh, the Voss Pastor has a Rotten Tomato score. Okay. Wow. Based on 10 reviews. Okay. What are we going to guess the average rating is? Price is right rules. Closest without going over. I start with Glenn. Uh, uh, 15%. Okay. Lee? I was going to say 13. Okay. Excellent. Jed? I'm going big. 27 Mm-hmm. The review aggregator Rotten Tomatoes reports that 70% of critics have given the film a positive review what? based on 10 That's reviews. That's not possible. With an average rating of 6.75 out of 10. And then it quotes reviews from Nerdist and the AV Club. Oh my gosh. That can't be right. I've uh, got to watch this movie now. Alex McLeod. Everything is over. Writing for the AV Club said this movie is going to endure. It's got a killer hook, it's fun to watch, and it doesn't overstay its welcome. It has cult classic written all over that it. That cannot possibly so be right. So a 6.75 out of 10. From That's higher than the latest Star Wars movie. The critics. It's also higher than something else. Because I, I took a wander over to RottenTomatoes.com, okay. typed in God's Not Dead. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it has a... 13%. Oh. oh. 70%. 13% from 24 professional critics. Here's the saddest part. Because we know Christians are notorious for like trying to rig this stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, was, yeah. Uh, everybody at church got to go on the and give God's Not Dead five stars to stick it to the libs. Right. So God's Not Dead has 41,309 user ratings on Rotten Tomatoes. And it's only Christians saw that. And its movie. average is still the same as Velocipaster. Yes! It is a 76% audience score with 41,000 totally astroturfed reviews. Oh, that's wow. incredible. 
That's it. You know, on some level, I want to meet the guy that made this movie and shake his hand. Yeah. Because you started with autocorrect errors. Yeah. And you hang in there for years. Yeah. He he believed in this unlike most Christians believe in anything. And you made your movie and then people actually saw it and liked it. That's incredible. On Netflix, it's on Amazon. Well, that's the crazy thing to me is we we saw the the title some months ago, I think a few weeks ago or something, like Glenn sent it to Jed Nine to text with just like oh, yeah, a screenshot yeah. of like what is this? And we we had other stuff on the docket for emergencies, so we're just getting to it now. But it's one of those things of first of our question was Well, if Christians made this, it's gonna be terrible. Yeah. I don't know how. But it right. is. But it is. And all it took was I don't I don't know uh the director's of uh, faith. Uh-huh. I'm gonna guess he's not a church going person because he's just making this off autocorrect right? and making a, a Christian ish movie off autocorrect apparently led to a much better film <laughs> than having some weirdo point you want to make. How about that? And get crowd fund and get funded by a mega church in Georgia. Yeah. As all the Christian movies are in summary, there's no pizza. You don't respect me. Well, the, the, well, that's uh, if we've learned nothing from Christian movies, and we haven't. Yeah, yeah we certainly. That's haven't. what we've learned. Looking yeah. for the sequel, Veloci sweater. <laughs> but but <laughs> let's remind ourselves of the kind of completely joke parody suggestions we've made of Christian movies. Sure. And this one actually outstrips the humor. Yeah, that's something. Yeah, that's that's all the way out there, man. Yeah, that's impressive. You know, for people who have a lot, a lot, a lot of dumb ideas, <laughs> this is this is, I think, a beacon of hope. Well, it also, and I don't want to be the um actually guy. You have the um actually floor. Would autocorrect correct it to Velasa Pastor? Given Th- that's no, not two a different thing? words, so I'm guessing you put a space in the middle of it. Oh. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, fellas, brace yourself. Okay. I got a million-dollar idea. Okay. Or at least a $35,000 idea. (laughs) Hit me. (laughs) Got a Nissan Altima of an idea. Here's what we do. Everybody get out your phone. Yeah. Just start typing random characters. Okay. Whatever it autocorrects it to, that's That's the the title of the movie. Okay. Well, I've got something for you on that. Okay. Uh, Jed and I were texting earlier today about uh, something we're going to talk about on the show later, and we were ch- we were checking something biblical. But the, I'm a history person, and Jed, I got a sort of question about this. So it led to me trying to type the word Judea into my phone. Okay. That's the thing about Judea was occupied by Rome at the time. And my phone uh, from the Apple Corporation insisted, like, you know, when you get one of those, like, those autocorrect loops uh-huh. where you type the thing you want and it changes it. Yeah. yeah. So you delete it and type the thing you want, and it changes it, and you have to go and hit like the little button on the side. It's yeah, a, yeah. That's giving you those judgy quotes. Of like, <laughs> did you really want to type yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Was that so? But three or four times it tried to change Judea to Hydra, <laughs> and that's right. I'm pitching an Avenger sequel set in first century Palestine. Okay, I want to see that movie. Yes. So this is how we should come up with all movie pitches from now on. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You could just, you know, uh, uh. Just randomly type things into your phone, and it it says, you know, Gumbo Moses Hydra. Yeah, that's your movie. That's exactly right. I I think that would work out better than a lot of movies I've seen. Absolutely, absolutely. You know what I mean? At yeah. least you'd have an excuse. 
Yeah, it's like uh, like I just typed it into my phone. It spat this out. What do you want from me? It's not like oh, we spent t- we spent two years on and forty five million dollars in script development. This is what in, in art they call serendipity. Mm. Oh, so <laughs> deal with that and deal with it. We shall, but first we have to declare emergency off. Ah, uh. now we uh, I won't. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me on Bridgebox, but I don't think we're bringing in thirty five grand a month. Probably not. Uh, maybe some one of these days. So we, uh, you know, our movie making career is a ways off. Yeah. But currently we do uh, totally fund our deacons program. We are. Uh, we were actually just talking in our staff meeting uh, recently about how we have a, a young lady who's started our deacon training for uh, the first time in a while, which is super, we're super excited about that. And no when she's doubt. ready to become a deacon, her uh, very, very small, way smaller than she uh, deserves uh, amount of money that we pay our deacons to, uh, just for the time they give us the bridge when they're helping folks out with food pantries and housing stuff and addiction recovery meetings, all the amazing stuff our deacons help the men and women come to the bridge with. That'll be taken care of. That'll be taken care of you fi- because of you fine people who sign up for Bridgebox, missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. It's only $8. You get all sorts of great stuff into your inbox every month. Our topic this month is also our first question. Aha! Because I remembered, instead of almost putting it as the middle question, on the last episode, which still came out in January, that would have been a bit of an oopsie. But we got it together. It's the first question this month, and it says, I'm making changes and good things are happening, but it feels like it's taking forever. How do you have peace when life is taking too long to get where you want to go? So uh, for the purpose of Bridgebox, we condense that to how do you deal with slow progress. But Jed, that's the actual question that yeah. uh, Glenn and I preached on our bridge service and... Where do we start with this idea? Because I think it's a really interesting uh, topic. I think we had a lot of good conversation tackling it, that idea, which I think applies to a lot of people listening. I know it applies to a lot of the men and women of the bridge who pretty much doing everything you need to do and seeing good results. Yeah. But man, I really hoped this whole turnaround would be happening a lot quicker. Yeah. So where do we start off with just getting our mind around that? Well, I think the first thing that we need to do is we need to acknowledge just how tough it is to deal with slow progress. Mm. Um, you know, we, we talked about this uh, a little while ago, you know, around the table. And the thing is, if, you, if you're making just, you know, gangbusters progress, I mean, just, things are moving forward and it's lightning speed and it's blowing your hair back and, you know, you got a little bit of whiplash going, well, you feel great. I mean, this is, you're living the dream. This is, this is amazing. It's awesome. And if you have no progress, like, you know, it's just nothing is happening. Well, it, it, I mean, it's bad, obviously, but it, in a sense, you know where you stand. You can quit. You got a good excuse. Hey, I tried and it didn't work. Um, and, you know, it's, you know, you, you feel like you're probably due for some pity um, and kind of feeling bad about things. So that that makes sense. But when you've got something where it is moving forward but it feels like it's going at an absolute snail's pace. I think it's really hard for most of us to know how to feel about that because it doesn't feel like a victory. Um, And and I mean, maybe put it another way. It definitely doesn't feel like something that you can brag about to your friends. You know, I mean, you know, if, if, you think about people who like the, you know, they like to lift weights, you know, they want to talk about, you know, how much they're putting up on the bench press, man, and you're getting swole. You say, well, in the past six months, I've increased my bench by one pound. I mean, that is progress, but you're, you're probably not going to be bragging to your buddies about that. So is it good? Am I supposed to feel good about this? I don't know. And I think we need to start there. We need to start by acknowledging that slow progress is 
emotionally difficult to deal with. We then, I think, need to acknowledge that it's also the most common form of progress. And Mm. that's for a couple of reasons. The first is nothing can have stratospheric gains forever. That's that wouldn't the the universe couldn't contain it. You know, Uh, even things that might have periods of quick growth can't have them forever. And in fact, just anecdotally, really, most growth is slow. Um, you know, there there are some things where at the very beginning you might see some quick gains, but but most things move forward pretty slowly, and particularly over a long time, they tend to, to move forward pretty slowly. So we want to acknowledge again that it's the emotions of it are hard to deal with, that the experience is extremely common, I mean almost bordering on the universal. And then I think we want to suggest kind of an initial thought of of what we do with all of this. And this is actually going to go back to our last question on our previous episode. So we encourage you to, to pull that one up in your feed and listen to it as well. But here's in a lot of ways what we're really struggling with is expectations. Yeah. It's not so much the idea of slow progress implies an expectation. It implies you thought things would go faster than this. And it's worth asking, where did that expectation come from? Who told you it would go faster than this? And that leads to a related question, which is really, really important. And that is, how many experts are you talking to? Mm. How many people who know more about this subject, not life in general, but this subject, how many experts are you talking to? How many people who know this stuff better than you do are you consulting with? And it's fine as as a first blush to say, well, I read a book and the guy who wrote the book knows more than I do. So that, that got me started. That's cool. That's really, really good. Are we trying to find people, though, that you can actually talk to about the specifics of your situation who know more than you do, who can actually look you in the eye and get a sense of what you're dealing with, who know more than you do about your situation and can help you sort that out? And if we're not doing that and if we're not locating those people, I think it's really worth asking why we're not doing that. Yeah. Now, there may be some really legitimate reasons. It may be I I live in a part of the world where there just are very few people who do this specific thing, and so it's very, very hard to locate someone who has an expertise about that. All right, that that makes total sense. That's a but what that is is a problem to be overcome. We we need to figure out a solution for it. If it's I don't want to have to own up to another human being that they know more than I do and admit that that's something we need to get over. That's something that we need to leave behind. Cause here's the thing. There are people who know more than you do. We hope we desperately hope that there are people who know more than you do. Otherwise the problems are way worse than we thought. Let's assume that there are people who know more than you do. There almost certainly are. There certainly always are for me. We need to take a hold of the humility to be able to look other people in the eye and say, you know more about this than I do. Help me understand what I'm dealing with. If and as we do that, a beautiful thing will happen. We're going to get insight. We're going to get expertise. We're going to get perspective. And we're also going to get expectations that are actually grounded in reality. We're going to have a sense of what we should expect to see. And if we're not seeing that, someone who can help us debug why we're not seeing what we probably ought to see. These are all good things. These are all positive things. So when we feel that frustration of um, the slow progress, that's a good moment to turn around and find those subject matter experts who can help us figure out how to do this a little bit smarter and a little bit better. 
That's yeah. fantastic stuff. And Glenn, love you to pick us up there because I think uh, Jed's using a very important word there, and as, as he's anyway saying, which is feel. Yeah, because a lot. I think a lot of what we're feel, we're looking at here is there's a disconnect between what I know and what I feel. Mm-hmm. As he's saying, you know, I I know just not that I'm doing good. Yeah, but that feels bad because of these expectations about the timing and that cognitive dissonance is really something we need to work on resolving if we're going to move forward, isn't it? Well, absolutely right. We do have to look at um, that acceptance piece within that. So if you if if you look at a lot of people who are struggling to make big positive changes in their life, that often goes together with having had problems or 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 other kind of bad habits or struggles whatever those things are the thing is what those people will often do is they downplay the amount of the size of the problem they don't they don't look at it in its totality and take it in as what's they're not accepting that this is a big hairy, semi-unmanageable level kind of problem. And because they do that, those same people often have problems accepting praise Mm. because it's not that big a problem, therefore it's not that big a deal that I'm overcoming the problem. So acceptance deals both with accepting this problem in its size and unmanageability but it's then also accepting the praise because heck yeah, I'm, I'm it's progress. It it's small progress, but it's a big problem. So that's a big deal, you know. So I think uh, uh, that lack of acceptance gets us in trouble. The second thing I would say is what we're looking at here really is a psychological landscape, right? So what's going on uh, on our psychological landscape? Because I think Jed really got us on expectations with that last question and that's where I want to come in on that because we're 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 trying to figure out what's a reasonable expectation what's not uh how should I feel about this given it's sort of good I I love what Joe was saying there it's sort of good but it's not great so it's in between that doesn't have a lot of emotional resonance with me it doesn't seem like a big tragic thing well, it's funny, we do have a tendency to want to feel our way through things and let the emotions tell us whether we're doing well or not. Mm. And emotions don't do that. Emotions are chaotic, they're slippery, they're, they're, they're temporary, they can fog up our perception. They're not going to, you know, so we have to process them, we have to understand them, we have to deal with them and, and, and feel them and then set them aside. That, that then will get us into the world of thoughts. So we've set aside feelings, now we have thoughts. You know, I, I feel angry or whatever. A, a thought is, uh, you know, that I, I need to deal with that anger by doing something. So that gets us into strategic thinking, thinking I need to talk to an expert, like Joe was saying, I need to read a book, I need to change my lifestyle and so on and so forth, change my habits and whatever those things are. Uh, but I want us to also look at uh, observation. So thoughts are subjective. I need to stop being this way. <laughs> I need to go to church. I need to read my Bible. Those are things that you are just uh, uh, subjectively saying to you about you, right? But observation is about getting outside of your life and then looking in. 
so that we can have awareness of what's going on. And there's precious little of that that happens with Christians. There's a tendency to feel a lot of feelings. If I'm not doing feelings, I'm just telling myself a lot of things I should be doing. I'm shooting myself at that point. But I need to get outside of my situation almost as if I'm an outside observer and it's someone else that has my life or whatever, and look at that and say, okay, what can I see and observe about that? If I'm getting a lot of good observation on my life, I'm going to get a lot of insight. I'm going to get a, understand it and it's it, it, how it works. And we would call that awareness. I have an awareness of my situation. When you have really good awareness, you have really healthy expectations because you understand what, you know, uh, given all of these parameters, what should I really be able to expect? So we want you to um, get the, that good mentoring, get that good prayer time. Get all of that's going to get you in that world of observation that will lead to that awareness and set yeah. you down the right path. That's excellent, excellent stuff, Lee. Where would you close us out on this? The I, I love every place that this is going. I think this is such an important. Just all, all of these ideas are so important. The the pace of the way that this works, uh, making the division between the way things feel and being able to observe the situation in a in an almost clinical and prosaic way, like Glenn is talking about, so that I'm so that I'm not letting the feelings drive the bus. There's another part of this that, you know, when when you ask the question, you say like, I, I want this peace, and I'm trying to make these changes, but it's taking a long time. There's a really interesting kind of uh, kind of buried fallacy in here, which is to say that I'll only have peace when everything is finished. Like I'm on this long road of changes and the only time that peace can ha- can come is when everything is over. Now I, I I call that a buried fallacy because just because it's something that we all kind of unquestionably kind of fall into is the idea that that's the only time I'm allowed to have peace. Until then, the 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 kind of terminology of the day is you just got to grind this thing out. Like I, I'm just on this grind. I'm I'm trying to figure this out, making these changes and everything, and I'm working hard. And until everything is done, then I can't have any rest or contentment or peace. Here's the problem with that: a lot of long-term goals. Let's just set up a scenario. So let's say that your goal, your long-term goal is going to is going to happen in a couple of years. And let's say that we could subdivide that that eventual goal into 100 different steps. The thing is is that right now today you can't do step 77. You can only do step 1. And if you do step 1, it wouldn't actually make sense to have stress about step 77 or step 86 or step 55, the only real appropriate thing we could do is to separate those emotions out exactly as Glenn's saying, and to have, um, to receive peace and celebrate the victory of having completed step number one. Um, something that's a long-term goal that we could subdivide it out into a lot of different kind of smaller goals or steps, whatever we get done is that thing that we can do right now. And what God wants to do is to give you as a gift, a transcendent peace in the middle of what you're doing right now. 
So you're working on step one or you're working on step three or four or five or something like that. We don't have to have a, a stress about, uh, about step 28 or whatever. We get to celebrate the victory of having accomplished step one and then relax and enjoy the peace that God wants to give in that. I love that in the question, you're seeking peace. You actually have two goals at once. You have the changes that you want to make, and you have peace. The cool thing is, God wants to give you peace right now, as a gift, today, where you are. And you can simply receive that, especially in the sense that we can only do the little bit of moving towards our goal that we can actually do today. He wants to give you peace on that part of it right now. So you can just receive the peace that he has for you, and then we'll accomplish those next steps as we face them. And that's part of, I think, the process of what Glenn's talking about and what Jed's talking about, of being able to separate the uh, objective realities of where you are, the real versus the ideal, out against the subjective emotional thing, so that we don't let emotions drive the bus of this process but we can actually enjoy the peace that God just wants to flat out give you right now in the one step that you're able to actually accomplish right now today. It's all fantastic stuff from these guys. Really, really uh, smart. And it really is worth pointing out and going back to that. This is one of those things we all feel from time to time, but it's interesting as we looked at this as a, as a bridge topic, as a bridge box topic, as a, as a podcast topic. It's one of those things where, uh, I don't know about anyone else, but I really started looking at like, man, this is really common. Yeah. Like really common to me. I really see this in more people's lives. And it's never something I thought too much about that idea of the slow progress as we talked about it. And I'll come back to kind of what, what Jed was saying where we're, most of us are, you don't have, you can deal with success and weirdly people fail at enough things just in life. Maybe some people are, not great at it, but you have to deal with a certain amount of failure sure. gone. But there's something about that just one little step at a time that really you have to be a bit more active on that to stop it from trying to, in a way, trying to force it into one of those categories, yeah. I guess. You say, well, yeah. either, well, kind of like Lee was saying, I'm not going to be happy until I've arrived, so I declared arrived. It's good enough. I'm great at this now. Or uh, you know, how many things do people just totally bail on, not because they weren't making progress, but because they weren't making it in the way they thought they would. And it's an important set of coping skills to have. And these guys gave you a great foundation to start that off on. We're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, how am I supposed to pray? I do it in my own way, but I want to learn the right way. I don't know all the right words. And Glenn, that's about, that's about as honest as a question can get pound for pound. So where would we start off? You know, it's actually a question that I get a lot as it turns out, which is um, kind of surprising to me actually. Uh, but let's start by breaking this problem in half because uh, there's two different kinds of prayer that you may be thinking of. There's group prayer where you're leading prayer in a group context where you're praying out loud, and then there's individual prayer, which is just you and the Lord. Uh, with In a group prayer context, you will hear people pray in a way that may or may not make any form of of sense or be appropriate in any way or whatever. Uh, you don't you shouldn't feel the need to ever let the way someone prays in a group context affect the way you pray individually with God. 
if, if you do pick up something positive, that's great. But generally speaking, we shouldn't expect that to happen because it pretty much never does. Yeah, this the the there's a lot of uh, uh, lofty speech and whatever, and that's all. That's going to be a function of that church and that church's culture. Uh, if if everyone's doing it, and they ask you to lead prayer, they're gonna you're gonna have the expectation you should do it. Well, it's also it's, uh, there's a great point. It's worth pointing out. It's also a function of what people the goal of that time is. Yeah. The goal of a corporate prayer time is different than the goal of somebody's That's exactly personal right. prayer time. We we joke all the time about we ha- you may have heard at our bridge service you have a ten minute to give a message and a lot of uh, people try to uh, have an opening prayer right that they think isn't getting timed even though it is oh yeah where they're trying to sneak in a sermon point or two that's right yeah so <laughs> it, not only is it a different uh, affected by the culture but you have to look at what's the goal of this time that's exactly right and so. Um, First of all, feel free if someone asks you to lead a group prayer to just tell them no. Yeah. Uh, if you're not comfortable with that, if it sounds fake when everyone else does it and you don't want to freak them out by being normal, uh, then uh, th- it's okay to say I- I'm too normal for that. You guys Pass. do it. Do it the fake way. You guys like it. That's you know that's fine. And if it doesn't bother you the way they do that, then that's fine too. I- I'm not saying. I'm not judging that one way or another. Um, The way I hear most corporate prayer led gives me a complete rash. And most of it doesn't sound like you know this guy you're talking to. So I don't know what you're even trying to fake your way into with it. So, you know, let's, let's, let's say that part. But then there's individual prayer. And that's where the rubber meets the road. That's really what we need to talk about with you. Here's the first thing on... um, uh, praying correctly, mm. whatever that might be, um, <laughs> is that uh, uh, it's important when we have relationships with everyone else that we make ourselves understood. So, for example, if you appreciate something, you make sure to say thank you in a way that's intentional and obvious and worded carefully and you've made sure that you've made your point because you don't want to create the false impression that you're not thankful. Yeah. So you go to God and you say, okay, I want to tell God I'm thankful. I want to have all the right words and whatnot. Except for God already knows whether you are or you're not. He can't misunderstand you. That's not something he's capable of doing. There, you, you cannot create a misunderstanding between you and God. That's one of the most awesome things about that relationship. It's, it's, it should be the thing that makes you the most comfortable about that relationship. Uh, God doesn't misunderstand anybody ever on anything. He gets it. If you're thankful, he gets it. Now, yes, it, there can be a benefit to you saying that and expressing it and exploring it a bit. I think there's a huge benefit to those kinds of things. But you're doing that with the expectation of you're trying to arrive at a place where he already is. You're trying to get your understanding of your own situation to a place that he already already has. So, uh, and that's a good journey. That's a good. That's worth doing. So, therefore, uh, uncensored prayers are the best prayers. Un, un, uh, 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 unscripted, unedited uh, 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 prayers are the best way to do that because we're. Um, we're exploring that within ourselves, and we're using the context of this relationship 
for me to unpack all this stuff. That's that's some really good prayer stuff we would want you to get into. Um, you also don't have to get God's attention in prayer. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't have to be the right thing. I hear a lot of that. Well, first of all, I hear a lot of corporate prayer where they're just yelling. It's like, I don't know. Do you think he, it's like old-fashioned long-distance telephone call? You got to yell. He's got like an ear trumpet. He's really yeah. old, Glenn. <laughs> exactly right. You got the tin cans and the string, and you got to yell into the can. <laughs> That's not what's happening here. You don't have to. But then, you know, people will sometimes in some churches or grow up in some traditions, they'll say, well, you know, you can't, you can't pray for something selfish or God won't hear your prayers. And, and then Jesus said, you know, we should pray. You know, give us this day our daily bread, which pretty selfish. Sounds, sounds like you're asking, "Hey, I, I need some bread here." That sounds, <laughs> you know, it's okay. It's fine to say I want other people to have bread, but I, I need, I need my daily bread for me. So that you know, that doesn't hold up the scripture at all. So that's again getting us in the in the vein of thinking I need to do something to get God's attention. Um. I don't want these prayers getting filtered out by my misbehavior or misstatement or a wrong attitude or those kinds of things. Your attitude won't get right till you say the wrong thing and you hear yourself say it and say, that that was wrong. (laughs) That sounded wrong when I said it. But that's how I feel, and I need you to understand how I feel, and I need to express it. And I, I, I know I need to move on from it, but I can't move on for it unless I start by just putting it on the table. So uh, to me, that's great. Um, so the point that I'm driving towards here is, is actually that you shouldn't listen to us tell you how to pray. Because mm, okay. here's the deal. This is between you and God. Your prayer life should not sound like mine. Say because that. my prayer life has to do with me and God. God understands me, and I have my funky little ways and my quirky little ways and my strange little ways. God understands every bit of that. He doesn't have any problems with it because he made me. He he and I are cool like that. We get each other. We know what the deal is. We have our little shorthand ways of communicating, all of that. If you read a transcript of it, it wouldn't make sense to you, let, let alone seem spiritual to you. Uh, and that's because it's not for you. This is this is my prayer life. You go get yours. Uh, mm. But I, I think uh, it's you should be uh, 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 allowing God to tell you it's cool to just be you. That's exactly what I want. That's a really Amen. good place to start. I'm slightly regretting putting Glenn first on this uh, question, being those answer <laughs> involved. You shouldn't listen to us. That's right. But we will press on because we. He, I totally agree with this point. And Lee, as opposed to it, kind of Glenn saying, giving somebody a prescription, giving somebody you know an ABC. Uh, I think we can do a lot of good by kind of recontextualizing. As Glenn saying, maybe you've only yeah. heard corporate prayer, maybe you've only read. Uh, the prayers are written in the Bible or a Christian book. So that's, that's none of that is someone having one-on-one time with God. It's kind of by the definition, you've never observed someone having one-on-one time with God because that's one-on-one time they're having. Um, so right. if we get this out of the idea of trying to speak well or trying to be precise or impressive, is there a way we can think about prayer that can get us on the right track? Yeah, I, th- I think there's a really, really good setup, man. I love the word recontextualize because, um, you know, I think about like some of the 
I guess the thing, the way I would want to think about this is, what is the relationship that you have with God? Um, if we can reframe and look at what does the Bible actually say your relationship is with God, then that's going to actually answer the question for you. And then you can do exactly what Glenn says, which is you can ignore us completely and you can just flow right into what it would be. For instance, um, my... You know, a lot of folks who listen to this podcast will know that that uh, that I have children. I, I've got three kids. My wife and I have three kids, and it's it's funny because we have situations where they're nervous to talk to adults. Um, you know, for whatever reason, they got a funky attitude when they're at such and such a restaurant. They don't want to order the the food, and then when they're at the house. They'll tell me exactly what they want on that sandwich and what they don't want on it. They're comfortable talking to their dad and telling them, telling me exactly what they want in a way that they wouldn't be comfortable talking to other people in their life. Um, and and that doesn't. That's not just about the sandwich. That's about all kinds of stuff. Uh, they they want to go to the basketball game with some of their friends. They're going to ask me for the money. Um, and they're very comfortable coming to me and saying, dad, I want to come do this. I want to go do this thing. Would you give me some money for the, for the deal? This is what I want on my food. This is what I, you know, uh, this is a a conversation I have with somebody at school today. What do you think about it? Would you give me some advice? My kids are completely comfortable coming to me as their dad and just guard down, talking to me, asking me for stuff, telling me how they want the, the thing to be. Because we have this relationship. We have this relationship where I'm their dad, they're comfortable asking me for stuff. When when you flat out fall in love with somebody, nobody has to coach you on how to write a love letter to that person that you're in love with. You just open your heart and write it. You just call them on the phone and tell them how you feel about them. Um, when, When... You know, I, I have the privilege of 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 having some people in my life who have at one time or another considered me a, a dear close friend. Some people have said, You're my best friend in the world. And they have no problem at all just opening their heart to me and telling me about their day, telling me some embarrassing thing that happened to them. They don't have their guard up with me. They just express it. Um, when you think about like if you were in a situation where you were you know, panicking and you needed rescue, like you woke up out of a nap and your house was on fire and you called 911, nobody would have to coach you through that conversation. You would just tell the person on the dispatch on the other end of the phone, hey, my house is on fire. I need you to send somebody to rescue me now. When you look at the scriptures, what you find is that your relationship with God is a relationship with a loving father. It's a relationship with a lover who, who, would, who would do anything to have a life with you. It's a relationship with a best friend. It's a relationship with a rescuer. When you reframe this whole funky idea of like prayer and what are the right words, when you reframe it to the relationships that the scripture says you have with God, all of a sudden, we don't need to tell you what the vocabulary is anymore. You just get to open your heart and explore that relationship. What do you need to ask your dad for? What do you want to tell the lover of your soul? What would you share out of your day or out of your week with your best friend? If you're in trouble and you need to be rescued and you're going to someone who has the power and the wisdom to rescue you and the resources to rescue you, 
Nobody has to coach you through that. You just call out for help. That's what we're looking at is we just need to look at what is the relationship. And then nobody needs to coach you. You just open your heart and you say whatever the words are that that are framed up within the confines of that relationship. It's a really, really good point. And Jed, I'd love you to close this out by picking up a lot of what Lee's picking up on there, because not only do you have to look at the confines of this relationship, as he's pointing out, whether it be whether it be a parent or a romantic partner, uh, the way we communicate someone is with someone is based very much in how we think they are. That's exactly uh, right. We think they are, how they, we think they act. So how do we apply that prism that we use with all our communication and put that into communicating with God? It's a great question. And, and I think for our listeners, I think a question that I would encourage you to think about is, do you think God is willing to meet you halfway? Mm. Do you think God is willing to um, kind of uh, not exactly give you the benefit of the doubt, but is willing to invest in trying to figure out what you mean when you talk to him? I think you should think about that. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. Mm. So I have a, a niece who is, who's grown now, but um, at the time of this story, she was, I don't know, very young, three, three or four. And um, uh, we were in New Mexico where family lived. And there's a lot of very, very spicy food served in New Mexico. And we're, we're out at some restaurant and she's been served a dish. And she explains uh, a very uh, uh, unhappy look on her face that this food is too spicy, And as such, it is unacceptable. Now, in that moment, I have a choice. Option one is to do what I think a lot of us think God is like and say, uh, that, that's not a word. I, you'll have to do better than that. I, I, don't, I don't understand. I, can't, I, can't, I couldn't even begin to fathom what you are attempting to express to me in this moment. Uh, currently, you seem to be an ungrateful child who's not eating her food and is speaking gibberish. That's like three bad things in once. I declare you hyper naughty. Okay. You said the wrong <laughs> word. Now eat it and suffer. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now, that's silly and absurd, but a lot of us think of God that way. Now, obviously, what actually happened is, is I knew she meant too spicy. She's a young child doing her best. She's saying, I don't like this food because it's too spicy and it burns my mouth. Would I please have something else? And of course, the answer to that is yes. The whole point of going to a restaurant is to eat food that you like. If you don't like this food, we should get you different food. It's meant to be a fun thing, not a punishment. What on earth are we talking about? All right. Right. That's me meeting my niece halfway in this conversation that we're having. And so, again, my question to you is, do you think God wants to meet you halfway in the conversations that you have with him? It's a really important question to think about, because if you don't, then you need to be very uh, beware of telling God that things are too picey in your life. How, how would he know how to help you? I mean, it's too picey. I don't even know what that is. I invented the English language and I don't know that word. I guess you're out of luck, friend. These are like groans that I couldn't possibly understand. Whoa, that's deep. Did yeah. you just come up with that? Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. Whoa. Obviously, the truth is, as Glenn is referencing, the Bible clearly says that sometimes we don't have any words at all. We just groan. And God gets it. God understands. And God wants to understand. He wants to communicate with you. If you've, if you've ever been around, maybe you have children like Lee does, or maybe you have little nieces and nephews, when you're around them, you want 
to understand what it is they're trying to communicate to you. That's right. You, you, your heart is towards them. You're you're not insisting on perfect diction. I mean, that's that's an absurd idea. But we we do have a tendency to turn around and try and put that standard on ourselves in in prayer. One more thought that's related to this. I think one of the things that drives that is that there's stuff that we really super duper care about that has not yet come to pass in our lives. And the easiest explanation for that must be that I'm praying wrong. I mean, we can think of things that are somewhat silly. I want a Ferrari and I asked God for a Ferrari and I don't have a Ferrari. But there's things that cut really close to the bone. Like, I want a significant other and I don't have a significant other and I've prayed about it, so I must be praying wrong. Or I wanted my loved one to not be sick and I prayed about it and they're still sick. So I must be praying wrong. Those thoughts make sense when we look at it from the that standpoint, because the alternative appears to be that God is hearing me describe something that's incredibly sensitive and close to my heart and appears to be saying no. And that's difficult to live with. Because I've heard like several million times in a praise song that he's a good, good father. And he appears to be saying no to something that I really, really care about. How on earth am I supposed to make peace with that? It's much easier to think that I'm just using the wrong words. Right, right. Okay. If that's how you feel, you come by that honestly. And I want to say to you that you are wrestling with things that are of incredible import that you should be wrestling with and that there is great beauty to be found on the other side of this wrestling match, but we have to go through the wrestling match to get to all of the beauty. Here's what's been true in my life. When I've gone to the Lord and said, there's this thing that I desperately want, and I can't see any way that this would be bad. I can only see ways that this would be good, and it appears to be 100% in line with everything that the Bible talks about, and I am begging you for it, and you appear to be saying no to it. Why? What on earth am I supposed to think about that? When I've been willing to, to begin to have that kind of prayer life with the Lord, that's when things have begun to change in my life. And not because... God was waiting on me to get like mad and upset and then he'd give me the thing. That's not what I mean. But because both in in the still small voice of the Holy Spirit in prayer, as well as reading the word, as well as in talking to wise counsel with other Christians, I realized that God was actually interested in answering that question. Maybe not in all the ways that, that I hoped for, but he was interested in answering the question of why not and what else he might have for me and what else he might want to talk about and what else he might want to look at. Almost as if this is a relationship in which hmm. two parties are involved and there is a conversation and there is a back and forth. Those moments where we let go of there's a right way to pray and a wrong way to pray and there's just, there's just praying and I'm begging you for this, Lord, and it's not happening what gives? Why Why is this thing not happening? That's when our prayer lives really begin to hit a new level. I think a lot of us are afraid of embracing that sense of almost conflict with the Lord, certainly of wrestling with the Lord, which is definitely a biblical concept. There's so much good stuff that waits on the other side of that wrestling. That's been true in my life. I'm confident it's been true in the lives of my co-hosts on this show. But we've got to embrace that wrestling to get to it. And we can't wrestle at all if we're hung up on the right way and the wrong way to pray. As long as we're hung up on those semantics, we can never get to the idea of just wrestling. There's a thing that I see as good that God appears to say no to. 
lean into the wrestling, lean into the wrestling, develop that kind of relationship. I promise you beautiful things will come out of it. Absolutely right. That's all fantastic stuff from these guys on a very wide ranging and complicated topic, but they gave you some great footholds as a place to start. We move on to our final question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, I have an office job, but I think the company I work for overall is run by people who are evil. <laughs> I pronounced the ellipsis in the question for dramatic effect. I like my job for the most part. And I definitely like having pay and benefits. Does what the board of directors and CEO do really affect me? It feels weird. And this is an interesting question, a little different than some of the stuff we've gotten before. So Lee, where would we kick this off? Well, the first place that I have to kick this off is something that's near and dear to both me and Matt's heart, at least, which is Mr. Burns, just the <laughs> yes. finger. Excellent. Um, yeah, I think this is a, I think this is a really interesting question because it's very, very rare that uh, in, in today's world that you could work for um, an organization that's so small that A, you could know everybody involved in it, B, you could know um, what their daily is like and what their motivations are and what they're doing. So like, you know, somebody like, like you know, Matt and Jed both work for Glenn. He's the president of the company, they know what his daily life is. If he was involved in something evil, they would know about it. And they also have the relationship to where they can call him to account. That's not normal. Yeah, that's definitely <laughs> that's, true. I mean, like, you know, I, I mean, Glenn is still very much the boss of these guys, but if he was out of pocket, he has the humility and they have the size organization where the two of them could go to him and say, we need to have a conversation. Um, that Glenn is always a wants very... to invade other ministries. We're always talking about it. <laughs> Strip them for their resources. This is a very, very, uh, you know, not normal thing in today's world. Um, you know, when you're a part of something like you're saying an office job, a big CEO corporate, you know, of a giant corporation conglomerate, whatever, whatever, this is a complicated world where almost everybody is compromised. Um, the, the question is, you know, and, and and the weird thing is, is that very often you can have corporations where a, a CEO, CFO, the, these guys that are at the top are probably involved in super evil things. And yet, uh, where you are in your job, you're doing something that is, you are completely uncompromised and you are actually helping people. That seems like it couldn't be possible. And yet, it's the situation. Um, one thing that we do want to say is that there, there is this kind of weird thought that like our job, our kind of day job is the whole definition of who we are. That's super not true. Um, your, your day job is not the whole definition, the, the whole kind of, uh, summation of who you are. It's a part of your life. And especially if you look at your kind of daily deliverables and you know, I'm being honest, I'm being forthright, and I am actually helping people, whatever the dude at the you know, or, or the lady at the top is whatever they're involved in or whatever. That's not really my thing. And by the way, the fact that you care about this question, the fact that you're asking this tells us a whole lot about the person that you are. When you look at your life and you look at the, 
the daily deliverables that you're being asked to do, you're not responsible for the the kind of motivations of of the CEO at the top of your corporation. Probably they will never meet you and you will probably never meet them. That's a different kind of responsibility. You're not responsible for that person's thing. This job doesn't define you. This is a super compromised world. But when you can look at your life and you can know that before the Lord, I am helping people and I am involved in things that are where I am following his calling and I'm following his lead, then, you know, like I said, this is a, this is a complicated world. It's a compromised world. But when you know that you are doing things that are helping people and that you are, that your things are not evil things, I think you're in the clear on this. And I think that you know, uh, you're the kind of person who knows if the Lord is calling you to move on to a different thing, or if he's just calling you to do your job that actually helps people in, in a way that honors him. It's a really, really strong place to start that off. I love everything Lee's saying there. And Glenn, maybe you can pick us up there and walk us through more of this, uh, which I think is a great point about this complicated world we live in. Yeah. Um, because as we point out in a lot of questions, we point out in this episode, eh, we don't, we really don't like that. Much rather live in a simple world where other people do bad things and I do great things, but we're so inter- interconnected that, you know, your what you consume goes to certain companies and your labor and yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah. And you kind of short of, we're going to go to the woods and he'd only berries that we grow ourselves yeah. on land that we bought from right. the person who, you know, owned it ancestrally. We're going to have to live in that compromised world. How do we get our head around that? Well, it's a great question. Uh, and the answer is there's no way to to live perfectly by those kinds of standards. So, you know, you've heard of the concept of uh, six degrees of separation. And uh, the idea behind that is uh, from any one human being to any other human being, you can connect them through you know, six degrees of different different people in relationships. But if you look at that research, what it actually found is uh, most people are a couple of degrees of separation from a person who then is a couple of degrees of separation from the other people. So that if you're a connector type of person and you or you know you're fir- on a first name basis with a, that connector type person you're kind of one or two degrees of separation from most evil stuff on the planet <laughs> uh and also and that's true for us is what yeah. i'm saying i i oh we know a lot of bad people we know a lot of bad people i have very close friends that i very very dear to me who you know are are on death row in Illinois? So you know we know these people, uh, but it, if you as as uh, we were talking about here uh, just a second ago, the if I look at what products I buy or uh, you know what uh, things I consume and whatnot. I'm going to find that there's also two or three degrees of separation between that and something evil. And I ha- I can't manage that to perfection. There's no way to do that. So I, I do have to look at the, the reasonable expectations on that. Um, I think it is legit. This is a thing. Let's also be real with this. There are many times where I will be in a situation where this vibe in this place just feels evil. 
and you and you'll 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 tell yourself, oh, I just think this person's evil because they laugh like the Wicked Witch of the West, and it's just a funny laugh, and don't be a weirdo. But you'll you kind of reflect back on it, like, no, that's not it. It's just this person just puts off a evil vibe, you know, <laughs> or it could be a, you know a culture of a place where it just. It just ain't great in here. Somebody turned down the evil. It's creeping me out, you know. Um, so I think it's. I think you have to give yourself permission to say I'm experiencing something here, and 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 not just try and ignore that or just tune out that it is happening. Um, it, final point uh, in 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 uh, much older times, they would. To have a job, they would call that a vocation, right? And so the idea is that the the first part of that voca is in mouth. This is your voice. This is what you are saying to the world. But I, I think for a lot of us, we think our job has a lot to do with our identity. And I, I don't think that should hold true uh, in a lot of cases. And I don't, I don't know that it—if I tell you I'm a lawyer, that doesn't actually say— anything about me really really it, it might hint at a few assumptions you might be able to make but you don't you don't know um so i think it's important to say our job title or where we're work or who, where where are we working at or who we're working for isn't really saying that much about us what is saying a lot about us is how we carry ourselves and who Amen. we are in that that workplace I think if we keep the focus on that, if they know you as a trustworthy, loving, caring, understanding, patient person that reflects all those godly virtues, and you're shining that light in a world that might be somewhat dark in certain aspects, then your your voice is uh, going out in a way that's very godly. That's a really fantastic place to take that. And Jed, maybe let's end this by looking at the Sunday School answer. Sure. Because there is one. Jesus encountered people who did uh, not great stuff for jobs, yep. uh, and, but his encounter with them didn't uh, begin or end with telling them to go find another job. Yep. So what do we make of that? This is a great question. So uh, Matt hinted that we were looking up some of the history of this earlier, or Matt knows the history and has helped me out with it. So there are two very clear stories, both of Jesus talking with Roman soldiers and of John the Baptist talking with soldiers who were almost certainly Roman soldiers. And uh, the Roman Empire did a lot of evil stuff, and the Roman army really did a lot of evil stuff. I mean, really, really, really. And so... Um, the story with Jesus, uh, you probably know it. Uh, there is a Roman centurion. So he wasn't just a, a soldier. He was in charge of a bunch of soldiers. And he had a sick servant. And he went to Jesus to plead, would you please heal my sick servant? And not only did Jesus not in any way reference his job at all, he actually praised his faith. He, he held him yeah. out as an example of, of really, really impressive faith. Even though Jesus was fully aware that this man was a Roman soldier, and that the Ro whether he did it or not, the Roman army did some evil, evil stuff. Okay, so that's story number one. Story number two is kind of even more direct. This is John the Baptist, who is he's out preaching, and he's specifically telling people, y'all got to repent. Y'all got to change some things because it's it's going to be bad if you don't. So it's it's changing time, and people would come to him and say, okay, well, what do we what do we need to do? You know, what, what do we need to change? And I'm going to read to you now directly. This is uh, the Gospel of Luke. It's chapter 3, and um, we'll start in verse 14. Actually, we'll just stay in verse 14. Then some soldiers asked John the Baptist, what should we do? 
John the Baptist replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Now, that's a really interesting reply. Again, the Roman army did evil stuff. John the Baptist knew this. I I think you could probably argue that the people who ended his life were probably Roman soldiers. I think that's that's probably likely. Um, He certainly would have to have been aware that the Roman army did a lot of evil stuff. That's not that everything they did was evil, but there was plenty of evil in there. But that's (laughs) he didn't say to these soldiers who came to him saying, we know we need to repent. We heard you about the repentance thing. So what are we what are we doing? What are we changing? He didn't say quit your job. He didn't say leave the army. He said, don't cheat people and don't uh, make false accusations. Learn how to be content with what you have. Well, that's really, really interesting because what it points to is God calling us to figure out how do we be Christian in our little corner of the world? How do we be that light where we are? You know, there's a famous verse in the Bible, it's Micah 6, 8, that talks about doing justly and loving mercy and walking humbly with your God. How do you do that in your office? How do you do that in your cubicle? How do you do that on your work site? What does it mean for you to do justly and love mercy right where you are, right where God has you today? He may not always have you there. He may move you on. And, and again, it's it's wise to pay attention to the pull of the Holy Spirit. If, it's, if he's telling you it's time to move on, then by all means move on. But wherever he has you today, how do you be that light? How do you be that source of love and generosity and compassion and fairness and equality right where you are? God has a plan to use you where you are, and we are proud of you as you live into that. That is absolutely right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. There's actually a couple of similar stories in the Bible, the what Jed's talking about there, uh, where Jesus talks to tax collectors, which was it's kind of the same thing. They they were people who served the Roman government. They Their job was directly funneling money to it. Uh, there's the story of Zacchaeus. There's also a parable Jesus tells about a tax collector. And at no point does he say, this person's doing better, but once they leave this job, they're really on it. And uh, I like that parable. Uh, so does, And uh, Jed actually wrote a song about it, featuring our friend Lynn's Honeyman from our sister program, The Bridge Loud. So we'll take you out with that called No, He Wasn't. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast, I can't wait for the sequel to Velocipastor, Velocipastor 2, Electric Boogaloo. Two men go to the chapel. Two men go to the church. The first steps up to the microphone to give the that he's rehearsed He clears his throat and begins to brag about how clean he keeps his nose He's well-behaved and generous Then comes his crescendo
desert Then God spoke up and weighed him Said his peace and made his move Said that second guy's alright with me Yeah, there's freedom in the truth Son, you are forgiven So go in peace Wasn't.